Currency Press is Australia's foremost publisher of the performing arts. We've been sharing Australian stories since 1971, and with those stories we've also shared insights, ideas and critiques. We think of them as the stories about stories, the stories behind stories, preparing us for the journey we're about to undertake. Today, Dr. Christina Ho will be reading her introduction to Alana Valentine's play Shafana and Aunt Serena. It's called Creating Identity in a Hostile World. Dr. Ho is Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Technology, Sydney. She researches migration, multiculturalism and the politics of diversity, focusing particularly on the experiences of Muslim Australians and the Chinese diaspora. She is also the co-editor of Beyond the Hijab Debates, New Conversations on Gender, Race and Religion, published by Cambridge Scholars in 2009. Now here's Dr. Ho reading Creating Identity in a Hostile World, which she wrote to coincide with the publication of Shafana and Aunt Serena in 2010. As I was writing this, Australia was embroiled in the latest round of the hijab debates, those regular, often hysterical arguments over whether we should ban the hijab or the burqa, whether Muslim women are enslaved by their religion, and whether Australian values are being irreparably damaged by excessive multiculturalism. In these debates, the hijab is typically reduced to a symbol of oppression, a garment that obliterates the individuality and free will of the Muslim woman, that signals her second-class status in relation to men, and that renders her a powerless victim of a barbaric religion. For the sake of equality and women's rights, we should ban the hijab, or so the argument goes. Amongst these histrionics, Shafana and Aunt Serena Soft Revolution is a quietly insightful intervention that portrays what the media headlines never can, the multiple meanings of the hijab for Muslim women. In contrast to the singular meaning given to the hijab in public debates, Alana Valentine's play powerfully shows that the hijab has many meanings. It's about faith, politics, liberation, identity, and each woman's personal history as a Muslim. In contrast to the binary debate in the media, framed as a clash between Islam and the West, Shafana and Aunt Serena portrays the passionate debates within Islam between devout Muslims who may profoundly disagree. One woman's liberation is another's oppression. Shafana's Superman cape is Serena's suffocating tent. Shafana's religious ecstasy is, to Serena, dangerous fanaticism. These debates are going on daily, in kitchens, over meals, in local gatherings, between Muslims everywhere confronting difficult decisions. Yet in the national imaginary, Muslims are simply a monolithic block of trenchant opposition to Western values. And ironically, the more hijab debates we have in the public sphere, the less we actually hear about what ordinary Muslims in Australia might really think about the hijab or any other issue that's been polarised between oppressive Islam and enlightened West. The more hijab debates we have, the more Muslim communities are cornered into defending Islam, including the hijab, at all costs. The space for free and unfettered internal debate, where Muslims explore the complexities, contradictions and nuances of their faith and identity, is in danger of disappearing. In a climate in which Muslims feel under siege, any dissent from the official line, usually articulated by a conservative male religious leader, can be read as a betrayal of the community. 
Muslim women in particular may feel unable to speak out about sexism or violence within their own community for fear of fueling the already raging fire that brands Islam as oppressive and Muslim men as barbaric. The result then can be a reductive hardening of Muslims' own representations of themselves and of Islam. The hijab in particular can be seen as a mark of Muslim authenticity, rendering unveiled women less Islamic. The Muslim feminist writer Shakira Hussein expresses it like this. As someone who has spoken out against anti-hijab voices, such as Bronwyn Bishop and Leslie Cannold, I face a dilemma. How do I defend women's right to wear the hijab, free from discrimination and harassment, without also reinforcing the position of the hijab as a symbol of real Muslim womanhood, which I have no desire to do. As Shafana and Aunt Serena eloquently shows, there will always be multiple interpretations of the hijab among Muslim women. Valentine gives us a glimpse of the fiercely contested meanings and powerful convictions that can painfully divide family members who nonetheless maintain a deep love for one another. Shafana and Aunt Serena also shows how the hijab decision can never just be a personal expression of faith, even when that is what a woman desperately wishes. As Serena tells Shafana, a veiled Muslim woman turns herself into a symbol, an endless advertisement that says, ask me, accuse me. She will need a ready response for any number of questions about the Bali bombings, Middle Eastern wars, 9-11, the Taliban, honour killings, and so on and on and on. In Australia, it's been well documented by the Human Rights Commission and others that veiled women bore the brunt of the attacks against Muslims after 9-11, including having their hijabs ripped off their heads. The meanings of the veil are therefore not only multiple, but overwhelmingly beyond the control of the women who wear it. In this sense, the hijab debates have almost entirely hijacked the hijab itself, imposing external imperatives that preclude its interpretation as a pure act of personal faith. It should be noted, however, that this is nothing new. The practice of veiling has always been somewhat overdetermined by the social context in which wearers find themselves. Since colonial days, the veil has been constructed as a symbol of oppression. For British and French colonial governments in Egypt, Algeria, India and elsewhere, the veil indicated the backwardness of colonised peoples. Those who did not know how to treat women properly were undeserving of self-governance, even though at this time women in Europe did not have the vote. And as Leila Ahmed documents in her superb history, Women and Gender in Islam, Lord Cromer, who was the British Consul General of Egypt between 1883 and 1907, who named the poor treatment of women as the foremost evidence of the complete failure of Islam as a social system, was also, back in Britain in 1919, a founding member and president of the Men's League for Opposing Women's Suffrage. Naturally, many Muslim women responded to such attacks on the hijab with a renewed commitment to it, and for some, veiling became an expression of political and national affiliations including anti-colonial and anti-Western sentiments. In the 20th century, 
The new veiling in the Islamic world can be traced to the 1967 and 1973 wars with Israel. Post 9-11, many women have again taken up the hijab as an expression of their identity and as a sign of solidarity with their fellow Muslims. For many, becoming visibly Muslim is a political statement as much as a religious one. A rejection of defensive strategies of assimilation or anonymity in favour of an active assertion of identity. In this highly charged environment, it's not surprising that it's Shafana rather than her aunt who makes the controversial decision to wear the hijab. One outcome of the post 9-11 era has been a generation of young Muslims who are particularly mobilised by their faith. Having grown up in the shadow of the war on terror, Islam has not been a neutral part of young Muslims' identities in the way that religion might be for others. Being Muslim is something they've had to constantly explain and defend and therefore work out clearly for themselves. In the process, there's been a well-documented Islamic reassertion among many young Muslims around the world. Contrary to previous trends that have seen the children of migrants assimilate into the social and cultural life of mainstream society, in the face of racism and Islamophobia, many young Muslims have, have embraced a religious identity that deliberately distinguishes itself from mainstream practices and values. The wearing of the hijab is one obvious manifestation of this religious reassertion. While Western hijab debaters perpetrate moral panic about Muslim women being oppressed by conservative families and communities. In fact, it's often a case of young women defying the wishes of their families in deciding to wear the hijab. Shafana's experience mirrors the stories of young women around the world who depart from the practice of their unveiled mothers and aunts to put on the hijab in the face of their opposition. Like so many other young Muslims in the post 9-11 era, Shafana turns to faith to create a strong sense of her own identity in a hostile world. She embraces that which would be used against her by others and redeploys it as a source of strength. I have nothing but admiration for young women like Shafana, whose strength of conviction enables them to wear the hijab in full knowledge of the challenges this will bring to their daily lives. Alongside this admiration, however, is a deep sense of injustice that such a decision should have to become so difficult and so fraught with risk, not only to these young women's personal safety and well-being, but to their most intimate relationships with loved ones. Wearing a hijab should not be a symbol of anything that a woman does not wish it to be. Especially in a multicultural society such as Australia, a decision to put on the hijab should be an act that is unremarkable and unremarked upon just another expression of identity amongst thousands, from the wearing of crucifixes to converse sneakers. It should not be subject to the kind of frenzied public debate we have witnessed in this country, the kind of debate that dramatically shrinks the opportunities for ordinary Shafanas and Serenas to make personal choices with freedom and dignity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Not In Print. We hope you enjoyed hearing more about this great Australian play. You can find out more about who we are and view our full catalogue at currencypress.com.au. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. Just search for Currency Press on Facebook or Twitter and drop us a line.
This episode was produced by Currency Press with the generous assistance of the Department of Performance Studies and the School of Letters, Art and Media at the University of Sydney.